Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. I want to talk today about the title, Wake Up, Sleeping Giant. And the idea behind the sermon today is that God's people, God's church, God's family are a sleeping giant that have all this power and potential and resource within us. God's power, God's Holy Spirit, God's mission and purpose, God's protection and blessing, His favor and His direction. We have this in us, but sometimes we become sleeping giants. And there are several occasions, I'm going to look at three of them in the Bible today, where God's people were woken up and the devil was so sorry that he had poked the bear, that he had woken up the sleeping giant. The first situation was when the Israelites were in Egypt. It starts many years before when Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. He went down to Egypt. He knew that God had a purpose and a plan on his life, but he was in prison for 14 years. Eventually, he rose up to the position of prime minister of Egypt, and then his brothers came down, and the whole nation of Israel came down uh, to Egypt to find refuge in a famine. And Joseph says to his brothers in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. And that is the theme of what I'm going to say today is that the devil tries his hardest to push us down, to make us suffer, to limit us and to keep us away from all the abundant life that Jesus wants to give us. The devil tries his hardest. So many schemes, the Bible says. He's got these plots and these schemes and these devices. That word meant for evil, that word meant means thought about carefully. Um, And basically, the devil is always scheming and thinking about how he can limit you as a Christian, you as a member of your family, you as a part of a church and our church and our churches. The devil is trying to limit us, but every time he does, he means it for evil, but God turns it for good. And so the brothers sold Joseph into slavery, but God turned it for a great deliverance so that Egypt was saved and the whole of Israel was saved. And now we skip forward many generations to when the Israelites are leaving. And again, the devil realizes there's this huge number of Israelites now in Egypt, probably over a million. And they were used as slave labor and the Egyptians were really exploiting them. And the Pharaoh was afraid of them and he knew that they could rise up and that uh, there was a threat there. And he was inspired by the devil. We know in the Bible that God said that he was judging the gods of Egypt when he set the Israelites free. So it was demonic forces and a human Pharaoh that were trying to suppress the Israelites And just at the time when Moses was born, Pharaoh said, kill all the male children, all the Israelite male children in the whole of Egypt. And the devil tries all these different ways to stop God's purposes and God's work. But God made a way. 
God made a way. The devil meant it for evil, but God made a way for Moses to be put in a basket of reeds on the Nile River for Pharaoh's daughter to find the baby, for Pharaoh's daughter to adopt the baby, to employ Moses's birth mother as a nurse, and for Moses to be brought up in Pharaoh's palace as a prince, to learn the ways of Egypt, but also to gain the ability to be a leader who would deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. And so the 10 plagues came and for many, many weeks, there were these plagues going on and the Egyptians were hard hearted, especially Pharaoh. When the Bible says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, what it basically means is God removed his grace and let Pharaoh just be who he wanted to be, which was hard hearted. And Pharaoh said, no, you can't escape. No, you can't escape. No matter what plagues came against the Egyptians. Um, and the Israelites were protected from almost all of those plagues. But then the last plague came, which was the death of the firstborn. And this was because the demonic forces and Pharaoh had said, we're going to kill all the male children. God said, there's only one way I'm going to get these people free is if I do to you what you did to my people. And so God said, the angel of death is going to pass through. And on the night of the Passover, the Israelites were gathered in their rooms. And God said to them, take the blood of a lamb, a year old male lamb without defect, and put it on the doorposts and on the lintel of your door of your house. And when the angel of death passes, he will pass over your house because of the blood on the door because he sees the blood of the lamb and an amazing victory was won. The angel of death swept through the land of Egypt. There was a judgment and there was wailing and crying in Egypt because they had been punished for the way they had treated God's people. But God's people were set free. They ran out of there with their clothes tucked into their belts. It was an escape and they had taken all the wealth of the Egyptians. The Egyptians had given them their gold and they ran out of Egypt. They came to the Red Sea. There was another confrontation at the Red Sea where the armies were now trying to get them back, but the Red Sea was in front of them. God's pillar of cloud and fire came and protected them, stood between them and the armies. But then God opened the way to the Red Sea. I don't know if you remember the story, but Moses is standing there and he says, uh, God will fight for you. Let me read it to you. It's in Exodus 14. So the people have been crying out to Moses because they think the armies of the Egyptians are going to kill them. They see the Red Sea in front of them. They don't know what's going on. They're desperate. And in verse 13, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Now, this sounds like very wise words that Moses was saying, but actually he wasn't quite right. And so God corrected Moses immediately. Moses has just said to the people, don't worry, you don't have to do anything. Stand still. God will do it. You have no part to play. And in verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. 
and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. So God wanted Moses and the children of Israel to play their part. Yes, God was going to do the miracle, but Moses had to extend the authority, the, the stick, the rod of God over the sea. The children of Israel had to step forward in faith into the sea, and then the sea parted. So uh, what I want to show you is that the children of Israel had been locked down in slavery for generations. They were a sleeping giant. God's purposes and promises were upon them and for them, but they didn't understand it. And they had the mindset of slavery. They thought they were slaves. They couldn't understand that they could rise up and do things for God. They didn't know yet all the potential and all the things that God had for them. And so they were locked down in their rooms. They put the blood of the lamb over the doorposts. The angel of death passed over. They heard the wailing and the crying all around them. They escaped. They came to the Red Sea. And then God said, come on, a gentle nudge. You move forward. You stretch out your staff. You do some action. I will help you, but you need to do something as well. And they moved through the Red Sea. The Red Sea closed on the, on the Egyptian soldiers who were pursuing them. They all died. And the Israelites sang and danced on the other side of the Red Sea. There's a, an amazing account of them worshiping and singing to the Lord. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. They, they just praise God. Now, my first point from this story is this, that God works all things for good for his people. If we will just go with him, even though the devil tries to lock us down, to put us in slavery, to make us uh, subjugated and less than what we are supposed to be. God has a plan. And if we will just follow his plan, listen to his instructions, do what he tells us, he will lead us out. And the main instruction that the Israelites had to take, and this is the one that I'm challenging you, my dear friend, to say, this is the first step in waking up the sleeping giant, is put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of your household and of your life. You know, the Israelites would have been huddled in their homes, fearful. We're slaves. There's nothing we can do. These powers and these things that are going on are so much bigger than us. How can we handle this? And God simply said, take the lamb, take the blood of the lamb and put it on your house. It's not about how good you are. It's not about what your history has been. It's none of that. It's just, will you follow my instructions and take this blood of the lamb and say, yes, Lord, I need you to save me. I need you to protect me. My friend, have you taken the blood of the lamb, Jesus? This is step one in this process. You have to say, Lord Jesus, it's not my goodness. It's not my religiousness. It's not my track record or history, my family background, my nationality. It's none of those things. I need your salvation. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me on the cross, I see you as the Lamb of God, the perfect spotless Lamb. I see your blood shed for me and I apply it to my life. I say, yes, Lord. And I trust in it. I trust in it, not in my goodness. I trust in you, Lord Jesus, to forgive me and make me clean and pure. Now, for some people right now, this is just a revelation. This is a, a new concept that I can trust in God's righteousness and not my own. And that is the key to salvation and the key to everything that God has for you. My friend, will you 
right now today, even if you've done it before, just say, thank you, Lord, for the blood of the lamb. I accept him. And then we have to run out from slavery. That's, that's the, the consequence of receiving the salvation as we run away from the devil and his schemes and the way that he's whipped us and enslaved us to do his will and to do sin. Uh, we run away. We run through. We obey his instructions. We run to what he has for us. Will you do that? That's step one. And for us in lockdown, <clears throat> I feel like we're in a very similar position for many of us, it was out of our control. It's been out of our control. And yet God has said, I am coming. I am giving you a, a way to be free. Even if you are still confined, even if you are still in lockdown, even if uh, physically you have limitations on you, you can be free when you put the blood of the lamb on your life. And you realize God has a good plan for me. He has made me righteous. He has made me forgiven. He loves me. He loves me. He's bought peace between God and man. And I can be the glad recipient of what God has bought for me. Will you take that today? That's step one. And as we do that, that's the start of the waking up of the sleeping giant. The Israelites went free and, and there were many great stories after that. But now I want to jump forward to a similar time of the year. So over a thousand years later, the Israelites had been commanded to remember the Passover every single year. And they remembered it with a feast um, and a sacrifice. And it was a big holiday for the, for the nation. And Jesus came and he was crucified on that Passover day. At the age of 33, he was crucified. He became the perfect spotless lamb that takes away the sin of the world. He died and his disciples were confused. They didn't know what was going on. And they were huddled and hidden in a small room. Three days later, Jesus rose again and he came to them in the room. He said, peace be with you. He breathed on them. He said, receive the Holy Spirit as the Father has sent me. I'm sending you. But then there was a period between Passover, Jesus's death, and when the church, the sleeping giant of the church came awake at a time that we call Pentecost, that the Bible calls Pentecost. Pentecost means 50 days. And so it was, it was actually 50 days after Passover. And Jesus had said to them, wait, wait, wait in Jerusalem. I've got this good work for you to do. And they, they were huddled together. There was a group of about 120 of them, a small gathering. Uh, they would meet together in a room and pray, but they were still fearful. They were still locked in. They were still... Uh, powerless, really. They, they couldn't do what God had told them to do. They knew that Jesus wanted them to go out and, and make disciples uh, of, all, of all nations, but they, they didn't have the power. And Jesus actually had said to them, wait in Jerusalem until you have been endued with power from on high. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit spirit. And that's what happened. On the day of Pentecost, uh, 50 days after Passover, they were in a room 
huddled together praying. They were a sleeping giant. There were only 120 of them. So in the natural, they looked tiny. They looked like a, a small group of uneducated people, no money really to speak of, no influence, no resources, nothing that the world would say is, is giant-like. But God saw them as a giant. God saw them as the body of Christ, as the army of God, as his family and his representatives on earth. But there was this time of waiting. And when the time had come, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, all of them, not just the important ones, not just the leaders. Everybody was filled with the Holy Spirit. Tongues of fire came upon their heads. There was a sound of a, a rushing wind. They all started to prophesy and to speak in other languages. People gathered around because people from all over the world had come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. And, and they were gathered there and they heard them speaking in their own languages. So people heard this amazing thing. A crowd gathered. It was nine o'clock in the morning, but people said they're drunk. Look how they're acting. They're acting all happy and joyful and staggering around and speaking loud. What's going on? They must be drunk. Peter stood up and he said, they're not drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning, but this is what was promised in the Old Testament. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And that's exactly what happened. And from that moment on, this tiny seed of a church, 120 people united, a little bit fearful, locked in, hidden from the world, suddenly broke out and they became a force that changed the planet more than anything in history. They started witnessing in the town where they were, Jerusalem, and thousands became believers. Even though the Roman government and the Jewish government didn't want them to succeed and they were, they were persecuted by the authorities, they still grew in numbers. People would come and join them with a little bit of trepidation because they knew if I join this group, I might get persecuted punished, maybe even killed. And yet people came, people joined them. They grew in number. They would meet daily in a big group in the temple courts, but then also in their homes, they would meet together in small groups. They would listen to the teaching of Jesus's disciples. They would break bread together and pray together and worship. And multitudes were added to the church uh, daily. They, they just grew and grew and grew. But after a few years, again, the devil tried to uh, damage the church with a persecution. And Saul was one of the people who was persecuting them. He was executing Christians and they were scattered out of Jerusalem because of the persecution. But God worked it for good. God caused his kingdom to grow in many, many cities and towns around the world. And even Saul was converted and became a Christian, and he wrote most of our New Testament. Paul was his other name. And so again, that which the devil meant for evil, God turned for good. The devil saw Jesus being born. He tried to stop it right at the beginning. When Jesus was first born, Herod, the king, said, kill all the male children in this area who are two years old and younger. He was trying to kill the deliverer, just like the devil had tried to kill Moses at the Passover time. They were trying to kill Jesus. It didn't work. 
They escaped. And then the devil eventually said, now I can kill him. I can get him crucified. He put him on a cross and he thought he'd won. But Jesus had won the victory because by dying on the cross, he had paid for the sin of the world. He had removed the devil's legal power and authority to rule planet Earth. And he became the rightful ruler of planet Earth. And so again, what the devil meant for evil, God turned for good. And then persecution comes and God turns it for good and the church grows and the church grows. Last story of the sleeping giant coming awake. In Acts, Paul wanted to visit Asia Minor and especially Ephesus. He tried once. In Acts 16, it says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. And so Paul had, in Acts chapter 16, tried to go into Asia. Now, we get a little bit confused because we think of Asia as the Far East. But in Bible times, Asia was modern-day Turkey and Ephesus and various other cities around were the jewel of that region. And Paul wanted to preach the gospel in Asia. He really did. He tried to go in there, but the Holy Spirit said, no, now's not the time. And we know that Paul had many um, bad things happen to him. He was stoned. He was whipped, left for dead in various places. He was persecuted. Uh, and treated so badly. He was thrown to the wild beasts in an arena in Ephesus later on in his life. He had many, many of these things happen to him. But whatever the devil meant for harm, God turned for good. And so Paul just kept on trying. He knew he wanted to get into Asia and especially Ephesus because it was such an important city and an influential city and the whole of Asia Minor, Turkey today, was so important and Paul wanted to go there. He tried, he couldn't quite get in. A few years later, he goes to Corinth and then eventually, a couple of years later, he ended up in Ephesus. There were only two believers that he knew there, Priscilla and Aquila. There were 12 other believers who were shaky in their faith and yet Paul started teaching every day in a rented room, the lecture hall of Tyrannus. He worked as a tent maker and the handkerchiefs, the sweat rags around his head were taken off and they healed people. But he was based in Ephesus in teaching to a small group. And yet we know that over 50,000 people became believers in Ephesus in the space of two years because they burnt all their magic paraphernalia when they became Christians. They repented and the value of that Pyre, that fire of, of burning of magic books was worth 50,000 pieces of silver, which is such a large amount. There must have been at least 50,000 believers in Ephesus. Huge revival in Ephesus. And then verse 10 says, And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. The whole province, every single person in the province in two years heard the word of the Lord. Why? Because Paul empowered people, the sleeping giants of the church, not to just sit in their pews and listen, but to realize, I'm a minister. 
I have gifts. God has empowered me. There's something I can offer. It's not me alone. I'm part of a team, but together, together, we are the sleeping giant. And we can have small house groups going on all over the city. We can go out and start groups and churches in the regions beyond. The whole world can hear because I am a minister. I've been ordained. When I became a believer, the Bible says you are a royal priesthood. When you became a believer, you were ordained as a priest and a king. Ephesians 4 says that the job of preachers and others like us is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, not to do the ministry. Everyone is a minister. You are ordained sleeping giant of the church. It's time for us to realize we can do it. We can reach out to our friends at work, our family members, our social circle. We can minister acts of love, kindness, good works. We can love each other. We can tell people about Christ. We can invite people to church. We can pray. Everyone is a minister. And when that revelation comes into people's minds, the sleeping giant awakes. Friend, have you put the blood of the Lamb on your life, not relying on your good works, religious acts, but just on Jesus' blood. Cry out to him now. Say, Lord, wash me, forgive me, cleanse me in your blood. Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? In Luke 11, verse 11 to 13, Jesus said, an earthly father will always give a good gift to his child if he asks for it. Your heavenly father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. He will. If you ask him right now, he will fill you with his Holy Spirit. And then a new power comes into your life. You can speak in tongues and prophesy, but also do many, many things and be a witness for him. That's how the sleeping giant comes awake. And then thirdly, have you received this anointing, this, uh, this marching orders, ordination from Christ, which says you are a minister. Go, go do what God has empowered you to do. In two years, the whole province heard the word of the Lord, which means they were new believers. They weren't seasoned Christians, but they were serving the best way they could in unity and with passion. Lord Jesus, please would you empower us. Please would you change our mindset. Please would you help us to wake up. Please would you help us to use what we've learned over this last few weeks and months to go into a new gear and at a new level for you. Father, I pray for those who are listening online right now. In Jesus' name, Lord, empower them. As they ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I thank you right now that you empower them. As they step out in faith and start speaking sounds and words that aren't their native language, I thank you that you release the power. As they go out and pray for people for healing, as they witness to people, as they love people, as they tell people about Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for anointing and empowering them. And friend, if you don't know Jesus yet, just cry out to him. Say, Lord Jesus, I love you. I believe in you. Forgive me and wash me of my sins. I give my life to you. Thank you for making me a brand new person. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.